Welcome to An Unexpected Launch, a podcast sharing stories of people thriving after unexpected circumstances. I'm continually amazed by the stories of those who endure the unthinkable, who don't give up, who use a challenging life event to propel them forward. April is a daughter, a sister, a wife, a mom, a public speaker, and an entrepreneur. She's also the author of a recently published book, No Mess, No Message. Her story chronicles her childhood where she struggled with her parents' divorce. She became a mother at a young age and navigated her son's cancer diagnosis just before his second birthday. Her story is one of perseverance, grit, and faith. We see April evolve with each page turn, finding unexpected gifts in the midst of trauma. Her story is one of inspiration. April, in your book you write, you might be in a scary, rocky time, but every story worth reading has conflict and villains and heroism and love. If you haven't slayed your dragon yet or met your prince, that means better chapters are to come. April, your story provides hope to those who are in the midst of trying to slay their dragon. April, welcome to an unexpected launch. Hey, Kirsten, thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to be speaking with you today and really looking forward to hearing your story. So April, you're a mom to three beautiful boys. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Uh, Yes, so I I do have three boys. They are 8, 14, and 18 tomorrow. And um, my husband and I have been married for, uh, oh my goodness, for 19 years now. So uh, almost 20. And uh, I started dating him when I was 16, so very young. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. They are a blessing. They make me who I am. And, uh, yeah, I think of all the things that I, I do or am involved in, I would have to say that being a mom is my most favorite role. Well, I, I share that with you. And being a mom of three boys um, as well, it's it's something that brings me, me so much joy uh, as well. So, April, you um, unexpectedly became pregnant with your first son, Tyler, when you were just 20 years old. What was your initial reaction to learning that you were pregnant? Oh, goodness. Um, Yes, it was. uh, So to be completely transparent, I had been married for two months. And um, it was three weeks before my 20th birthday. And I... um, had a, you know, I had a plan for my life. I was going to get my doctorate. I wanted to be a researcher. I wanted to, you know, move to a big city and being pregnant was definitely not in my plan. So I, I wasn't happy. I was scared. I was angry. I felt like I had, you know, done things to prevent this from happening. And yet there I was. Sometimes, sometimes life doesn't go according to our plan, as, as you know. <laughs> um, so Tyler was born seven weeks early, and he weighed just over three pounds. When you were finally able to take him home, you felt that the worst was behind you. However, just prior to, uh, to Tyler's second birthday, a cancerous tumor was discovered in his foot. Can you share how you felt in that moment of hearing his diagnosis? Yes, it was, uh, it was earth shattering is the best way that I could describe it. I think what happened between um, finding out I was pregnant and Tyler's arrival um, was a period of growth. I think that um, I come to recognize that you know, if, if there was a future for me or that my life was important, then there was a reason for his life as well. And that I was, you know, I was just going to have to embrace the fact that I was going to be a mom and that was just going to be a part of my plan. I didn't think that it was going to be the, you know, I didn't think that it was going to be like 
the concrete on my path. Like I felt like it was just going to be a piece of my life was going to be to be his mom. And so, um, when he was born, especially born early, I think I really, uh, it was a wake up call in how important he was going to be to me and how special an opportunity it was to be able to be a mom. And, um, you know, it's very scary. I didn't want um, him to be sick or, or, you know, to not thrive. And so he actually did really well. He came home within a week. He gained weight, uh, like a champ he breathed on his own. And so, um, you know, I really embraced the fact that, yes, I was different from most of the people in, um, my graduating class reunion or my, um, the kids around me in pharmacy school, like my life looked very different than their life, but I was really grateful and thankful. So when I found out that Tyler had cancer, you know, it really brought back those memories of how I had prayed that I didn't want to be a mom. I didn't want this pregnancy and this child to interrupt the plans that I had for myself. And I remembered, um, I felt very selfish and naive and, um, and I felt guilty. I really felt guilty that it was those thoughts of feelings that, that brought this on us, like this doom onto us. And, um, and so understanding that our life was about to completely change and not really know what that was going to look like and that it was going to impact him even more than me, um, was very hard. Well, I think it's it's really overwhelming, and you know, a cancer diagnosis is overwhelming enough. But when you're also having those feelings of what did I do that maybe contributed to this, that brings on just a whole other element that I think so many of us as parents we feel so responsible when when in reality life happens and it, it's it's not due to a, a feeling that we had or, or a choice that we made um so with his tumor type there was there was no clear consensus or treatment and you and your husband were really left to struggle with choosing the best course of therapy you were given a number of options and with really not much concrete evidence on what might be the best thing to do and so you agonized over this decision and ultimately you elected for Tyler's foot to be amputated. Tell us what it was like to make this decision. Um, I would say that, um, I, you know, it, it definitely makes me empathetic to any patient um, out there, especially when whenever I have you know, been in practice, um, where my decisions impacted, you know, the treatment of, of patients. Um, there's a culture called patient family centered care. And, um, the thought is that, you know, patients should be a part of that decision-making process. There is evidence of better compliance. Um, there's evidence of better outcomes when you feel responsible, um, for being part of that action plan to, to be healthy and get healthy and be a part of your, your plan of care. And, and I believe in that. I do agree with that. But I was 22, and I would say that um, really being able to fully weigh the positives and negatives of every choice that we had um, was definitely overwhelming we had kind of a you know we had kind of a, a what our what our provider recommended as, as what she thought would be the, the best most straightforward way but they also wanted us to know that because you know there wasn't a therapeutic option that guarantee you know well really none of the, the chemotherapy guarantees but you know that none of them had really evidence-based um, outcomes because we didn't get a clear diagnosis on Tyler's tumor type, um, which it was a long time ago, of course, and we've made a lot of a lot of progress since then. But um, that meant that you know it was 
anything we did could, was a gamble. We didn't know for sure. So um, after Tyler Stumer did not respond to chemotherapy the way that we had hoped it would, then, um, you know, radiation was a possibility. But um, because those cells did not respond to chemotherapy, should the radiation not work, then, you know, having a, a, a can- the cancer spread and not be able to be treatable was a risk. So we decided to elect to go with amputation. And I think that in one sense, we knew that we should be appreciative of the fact that this tumor was in his foot and we could do the amputation and maybe he would be done with cancer. And thankfully that has been what has happened. But at the same time, We didn't really know anything about living with a disability. We didn't know any kids that had endured amputation, especially at an age as young as Tyler's. And um, so there were a lot of of things that we worried about in terms of what the consequences of inflicting this disability upon him would be. And if we made that choice, you know, would there be an emotional and social and physical impact on him that he would have to live with for the rest of his life that was just as um, traumatic or consuming as this cancer was. Well, it's such a huge decision that you're making for, for somebody else that, as you acknowledge, is going to impact the rest of his life. But as a parent, you're weighing the fact that if you don't amputate, what if there are those few cells that are left remaining and, and metastasize? And so it's an overwhelming decision. Um, after you made the decision um, for amputation, did, did you have doubts that you made the right choice for Tyler? I think um, there were definitely times where we were discouraged even you know I, I would say that we had to move forward and and believe that we did the best thing for him because ultimately you know this couldn't be worse than cancer so you know with the thought that you know this was probably the best way to eliminate that or the best um possible um outcome in terms of odds they had the best odds um we believed that what we did was like the best thing for him, but at the same time, like dealing with the aftermath and um, from, you know, prosthetics that didn't fit well to sores to, um, you know, just figuring out um, what his new limitations were and um, not really having anyone else to go to and that had been where we had been and ask questions and, you know, be encouraged and uplifted or know where to go or what to do when things weren't going our way. Um, that was definitely difficult and discouraging. And, um, for a period of time, probably at least six months to a year, we didn't really, you know, we were, we wanted to be hopeful that his childhood would be completely normal, but we, we weren't met with all of the resources that we needed to be able to see that yet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you mentioned Tyler is 18 and we're going to get to talk to him, just talk about him in, in just a little bit, but has he ever expressed anything to you about wishing that you would have made a different decision? So Tyler's outlook is different <laughs> than mine. <laughs> he, so, you know, if you were that, he's been asked before, you know, if you could go back and, and not have, have had to have this amputation or not have had cancer, um, you know, would you, would you take that chance? Would you embrace just a, a normal life, so to speak? And he will say, he has said no. He, he would not have changed anything because he feels like the person that he is is fully because of the cancer that he's had and the, the disability that he has. Um, he feels like the trade-off of 
having a unique perspective and and basically a um, a very strong sense of purpose about who he is and what he's supposed to do with his life um, is one that he would not have had he not had the cancer. And then all of the resilience that he's been able to build and the relationships that he's made with such amazing people would not have been would not have come into his life without this disability and he really sees it as um even even though he knows that sometimes things are more challenging for him um he really sees it as a small sacrifice for the opportunities and the friendships that he's been able to gain that's a pretty incredible viewpoint for an 18 year old um, young man. I think that that you alluded to the fact that you and your husband didn't feel that you had all of the support and the resources that you perhaps needed in the moment. But if you if you reflect on what you just said about Tyler and and how he views what happened to him and his place in the world and his purpose, what an amazing job you and your husband did in guiding him and modeling that resiliency. Um, I mean, I think you must, you and your husband must be incredibly proud because not everybody goes through something um, that's a life challenge with the attitude that Tyler has. Thank you. Um, I would also say, I think my approach to ensuring that he would um, maybe have the best outcome possible um, was that uh, it's a little bit ironic. So I think when we were going through everything and when um, Tyler was sick and, and even after, when, after the amputation, I felt very isolated and alone in a lot of ways. Um, but I really felt this drive and motivation to be sure that he never felt alone or that he always had resources and friends, um, that have, uh, that was, you know, met that need, um, if he ever felt like a gap or different. And, um, so I really sought out those opportunities for him as soon as, I could, you know, as, um, I think the first time that we went to an event where he was able to meet other kids with similar disabilities, he was nine and really it was life changing for him and for us. But I really felt that desire for him, even though I didn't recognize that how much I needed it as well. <laughs> well, I think that it's so common that we as parents, we do everything that we can for our children while at the same time completely overlooking our own needs. And I would say that I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. And that, that actually leads me to something that I wanted to ask you about because you, you write in your book that we as humans alienate ourselves when we're going through something hard, thinking nobody can possibly understand. And so we insulate ourselves. We don't want to talk about it. And, and ultimately, we feel very alone. However, throughout your experience with Tyler's um, diagnosis and recovery, you do come to realize the value of community and support. And, and I think, you know, you, what you just said about showing, um, having Tyler meet other uh, individuals like himself, that, that sudden re realization of, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And there's so much value in connecting with people who have a shared experience. So to a parent whose child has received a de devastating health diagnosis, what advice would you provide regarding tapping into to support for not only your child, but for yourself? Um, I would say there's a quote in, in my book that is, Empathy is more meaningful than sympathy. 
And um, I wish that I had really realized the value of um, leaning in on others a little bit uh, more than I did back then, because I really felt um, that the pain isolated me, that I put a lot of pressure on myself, I think as many do, that we're supposed to just be strong and trudge through and that whatever is affecting you or impacting you um, that you're struggling with um, is that, you know, you're, if, if you're going to be stronger than that, you have to ignore what's hard and just get through it. You just, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Like this is life's hard and, you know, but this is, you know, this is behind your belt. You just got to move on. And I've learned that that is, so, you know, that's so, um, that pers- perspective is so skewed. I think that there is value in being strong and recognizing that you're strong, but also, um, you have to, um, you have to also learn that there it's okay to be, to feel broken and feel bad and feel like what's, what you're going through is um, that it sucks and that it's okay to acknowledge that you're having a hard time, that there are other people that can help encourage you and allow you to lean on them and, and it helps. Um, when I think back about the people who were there for us, um, that, that really did help when I, I don't think I, I knew the gravity of it then. It was from um, even just the little things. It was my friends at school bringing me notes to the hospital so that I could study and have a distraction and, and feel like I still had something that I could control and could do well at, you know, in spite of all the chaos. I, it was the people at my church um, and well, actually, it wasn't even my church until Tyler was sick. Um, the chaplain at the police department, where Billy was a police officer, um, their, their church really embraced us and just, you know, they were, I say, they were persistent with, <laughs> with their generosity. And um, because even though I didn't acknowledge that we needed it, coming home and being completely worn out and knowing that I didn't have to figure out you know, what I was going to make for dinner, that it was already there. And, and, um, and that Tyler, you know, when he was hungry would have food and, you know, or, um, when we had scans on Christmas Eve and, um, I didn't like, I, I realized that, you know, we, we didn't really take the time to figure out what we were going to do for Christmas because, we were at the hospital every day and um, to come home and, and there just be present there for Tyler or um, a crochet cap for when he lost his hair. It was, it was even the small, it was even the smallest gestures of kindness, which really helped to strengthen me. And, um, and I, I encourage anyone to feel like, you know, I think we shy, sometimes we even shy away from helping other people or for, for accepting help when we're in, in our time or for helping other people because we just say, well, you know, their problem is so big. I can't imagine how I could help them or what I could do. But looking back at honestly, it was the smallest things that I appreciate and remember the most. You know, I, I relate so much to to how you felt because when I was going through pretty challenging time in my life. I um I didn't reach out because I I didn't want to be a downer. I I felt like I didn't have anything uplifting to say, so I didn't want to cry in front of my friends yet one more time. I also wanted to be this person who was going through this incredibly traumatic time but very gracefully and it's so strong and didn't need anybody. And really, it, as you say, it's the little things. You know, somebody would, without even asking, show up with um, a Starbucks coffee or a friend of mine who, to this day, for the last four years, has sent me a card every single week in the mail. And it's those little things that 
not only are they so empowering for you and such a source of strength that you can draw on, but to your point, I think that it is really helpful for a community who there's nothing that they can do for um, for Tyler's diagnosis, but certainly they can help with the Christmas shopping or they can help with the meal. And I think that those are the types of, of things that strengthen a community. And it's so important for the community to feel that they can reach out and do something and to anybody who's listening, you know, when somebody's going through something so traumatic, they don't know what they need. So saying, what can I do for you is, is often they're going to say, I would always say, I don't know, because I really didn't know, but it's the people who had been through something before who knew that it was just that cup of coffee or a phone call or a text with, um, just a sweet note. And so I, I, I think that it's so important to tap into that community to help you and your children as you go through something so traumatic. Oh yeah, I absolutely agree. And then one other thing I would say too is, um, I think a lot of people isolate themselves and, and kind of guard themselves because there's a feeling that if we are, authentic or forthcoming with the way that we really feel, like you say, feeling like we're a Debbie Downer. We feel that even our, the people who are our friends and family before we're going through something difficult, that it makes them uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because they don't know how to help us. And, um, and so we find it easier to just isolate ourselves and, and shut those people out. And, and I will say, especially if you're listening and someone has been forthcoming to you about their feelings, even if it feels like the natural thing to just kind of like shy away or just be like, okay, well, you know, I'll pray for you. And then you kind of like steer clear of them because you feel like they're going through a lot. You know, honestly, like it is a very special thing and an honorable thing for someone to um, share those hard feelings with you because, um, it's not easy. And I, and I don't think that, um, I don't, I don't think that it's good for us to hide the way we feel and just feel like if we don't talk about it, then it'll, you know, then it'll get better. Or, you know, in the South, we say, we don't like to, um, you know, it's airing your dirty laundry or putting your, your trash out on the porch. Um, we don't like to do that, but, um, I feel like there's value in just giving recognition to those feelings that aren't pretty feelings because you can't deal with them or move forward or find strength or encouragement if you don't recognize them. And so if someone is telling you, you know, about how hard of a time they're having it, they are looking for encouragement. And so that's a lot of pressure. I get it, but that means that this is an opportunity for you to do that little thing, which is reach down deep and um, and be there. Let them lean, let them vent, whatever that looks like, because that's truly an honorable thing. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It takes it takes courage to to open yourself up like that. So um, before his his amputation, you you write in your book. You, you asked Tyler if he'd like to race down the hospital halls one more time. And you wrote, he ran as fast as his little legs would carry him. And I have to tell you that when I read that, it just, it brought tears to my eyes because I could just imagine what that, that was like. Um, so what were you feeling when you were watching your baby boy run that final time on his own two feet? Um, defeated. In what way? Um, I feel like um, it was almost like um, saying goodbye mm-hmm. to this um, to this sense of normalcy that we wouldn't get back. It was represented. It was it was representative of that of everything that was innocent and that he loved, that we were taking it away is how it felt. 
Yeah, sort of grieving the loss of that future that you had envisioned for him. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so fast forward, Tyler is now healthy. He is cancer-free. He's an 18-year-old young man who is just starting out on the next phase of his life. Is running still part of his story? So um, it's been a, a week and a half since he uh, ran in the uh, triathlon for the Challenge Athlete Foundation. It is the farthest he's ever went, and he completed over 10 miles hmm. in, the hill, in the hills of La Jolla, so not an easy feat, I would say. Um, and he completed his first paratriathlon in August, and he ran in Ireland for the USA IWAS junior team last summer in um, track and field. He prefers the sprint, he loves the sprint. Um, so the 100 and the 200 meter, and he brought home bronze medals in three events. So yes, running is still part of his life. Wow. So so let's just contrast, you know, when you watched him run as that little two-year-old boy for the last time in, on his own two feet, you felt defeated. What is it like to watch him run and these fantastic accomplishments that, that you've just shared? Um, yeah, it's, um, it's surpri- it was surprising and overwhelming uh, to see how far he's come. I think that uh, I love now that things don't always go as we plan because some things sometimes things don't go as we plan in a bad way but there are sometimes where things don't go as we plan and in a very very good way and um so you know it has been such an amazing experience to be on the sidelines cheering for him especially you know in ireland as he was competing internationally for the first time but you know, I was um, all all tears when he came through the finish line um, of the triathlon uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago, um, seeing him sweaty and smiling and relieved and out of breath and, you know, coming through that finish line. I think it was so representative of the fact that regardless of how bad it seems like you still have, um, you still have that possibility that you can overcome whatever is thrown your way. And just watching him thrive as this young adult is, um, it, it gives me more strength and encouragement. Um, just being a part of that journey with him. That is, that's so phenomenal. Um, and, you know, we talked a little bit about how he, he views his, um, his, the, his disability and his amputation and what that, the richness that, it is, that it's brought to his life and so many opportunities. You write in your book that Tyler believes that he has challenges and his history because he has a purpose and that he believes in showing up for that purpose. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was actually pretty humbling to me. Um, I think I realized this the most this summer when we recorded for a docuseries that should air next year um, called uh, Live, Out, Live Out Loud. And um, they asked Tyler the question, you know, he, he does a lot of things. He, you know, he's competed in track and field. He, um, does a lot of like volunteer work and, you know, he, he tries to be a good student. He wants to have a career where he can really help others. Um, he's always such a great mentor to other kids that are, um, you know, with similar challenges or, um, or that have had cancer and just try to uh, 
uplift them and encourage them that, you know, they have purpose. And um, so when they asked him what drives him, um, you know, I assumed that he would just say, well, I have a lot to prove. You know, I have this, I'm at this disadvantage and it's important to me to show that I'm stronger um, than my disability, to show that I'm stronger than others, to show that I can do it. And that wasn't his answer at all. Um, so I'm sorry, live out loud for being a spoiler. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, you know, he said that really what's impacted him the most is that um, he has seen other kids not have the opportunity to grow up. He has a lot of friends that were going through treatment at the same time as him and, and they didn't get the opportunity to continue to live on. And he takes that opportunity very seriously. And he feels like he has to live the biggest, uh, most impactful life that he possibly can because it's a gift um, that not everyone gets. And that really surprised me and his emotion behind that and the tears that he cried that he really feels this, this burden and this weight to make the most of every day and that he does have this ability to encourage others. Um, one of the things that he's done this year that has been very surprising to me, which has been part of my journey as well in publishing the book, is kind of figuring out, um, you know, what has all this meant to us and how can we use it to help others? And Tyler and I together formed the Drifted Drum Company and he designed his own apparel line. And he, it was, um, you know, the designs on the shirts, each one like meant something to him. It was an image that he felt like um, brought peace. He's very, he feels very connected to nature. He feels very um, connected to God. And um, he, he, on some of the shirts, he has like a Bible verse that he goes to that, that gives him strength when he's feeling, um, you know, really hard on himself or anxious about something. And so just to watch his growth and to see that he believes that, that there is a reason why he's here. And that is to help others find peace and find their reason for being here is, is really pretty special thing to, to be a spectator of. Hmm must be incredibly proud. That's, that is so inspiring. Um, and such a unique view and perspective again, from, from somebody who's so young. So, um, what, what led you to write your book? Well, uh, I started journaling a bit, um, a few years ago, I was actually going through something, um, completely unrelated. That was difficult. And I, so I, I felt like a good outlet would be to start to do some journaling. And I wanted to really kind of figure out, you know, why I am the way I am or why do I go about things the way that I do? And has all of this that has happened to me impacted me more than I suspected? Because I think that I really did feel the pressure of just put on a happy face and you just get through what you're, what you're going through. And, you know, I did not give recognition to my feelings and I did suppress a lot, um, when times were very hard. So in journaling, I think I really uprooted a lot of, um, a lot of feelings that I had that I never recognized. And, um, but I also revealed, a lot about myself uh, that surprised me. And that was how those bad feelings had really led to uh, gaining resilience. And, you know, like how, um, like what were the, what things I had, I guess, developed or learned, like traits that I developed or learned through all that, that actually do help me in making decisions or having faith or, um, being able to be a resource for others, you know, like I, uh, so I journaled and I wrote a few chapters, probably four chapters. And then, you know, life got busy again. And, you know, kind of, I started, uh, you know, I, I started kind of 
putting the pen down for a little while. And what happened was, is that a very dear friend of mine, um, her, her name's Angela. She, we grew up together around the corner from each other. And she was one of my dearest friends when I was in high school. Um, her son also ended up, um, a patient at St. Jude at the same time that Tyler was. And, uh, Wesley's diagnosis at the time was benign. He, they were the same age. Um, he had, uh, he had brain tumors, but, uh, but they were benign, but he was having to be managed for that so that they wouldn't cause seizures and they had to do radiation and all of those types of things. And so, um, over the years, you know, Angela and I, like we lived in different places and we, our connectivity was, you know, kind of sporadic, but you know, she, she's one of those friends where, you know, you're always friends. And so if you ever, if we ever needed each other, we knew we were just a phone call away. And, um, two, well, I guess it was, it's been two years ago now, I guess, two to three years ago. Um, Angela called me and told me that Wesley's diagnosis had changed and he started having symptoms like in between his six month appointments, I guess. And, um, and they found out he had stage four glioblastoma and, um, that was really, um, you know, it, it was, it was really difficult to know what that meant moving forward, like being in healthcare and understanding the gravity of that. Um, it, it was terrifying. It was so, just so sad. And, and I, am honored that I was someone that she could lean on through that journey with him over the next year. And, um, she was so strong and so graceful and just always just amazed me. But when it got closer to the end, she said that she started to have, you know, more trouble just being verbal and vocal, um, about what was going on with them because she felt kind of like her, you know, the integrity of the wall was starting to crack a little bit. And, um, so I said, I don't know that this, if this will help you, but I'm going to send you the stuff that I journal about. And I talk about this bit and how these are feelings that all of us have. I think that when our kid is going through cancer and, um, maybe it'll just either be a distraction for you, or maybe, you know, it'll just make you feel better or you'll get a good cry or whatever that looks like, but maybe it will help you. So I sent her that and, and, you know, the response that came back after reading it was that you have to, you have to write this book. Like this is going to be your book and and you have to, to share, um, this message of motivation and, um, and encourage others that they're not alone in what they're going through and, and you need to finish this book. And, um, so I didn't know how I was going to do that because I was super busy, (laughs) (laughs) but I committed to my friend and, and Wesley ended up passing away a couple of months later. And I promised Angela that I would write a chapter every single month and send it to her until the book was done. And that's, that's what I did. That's incredibly powerful. Um, and I'm so sorry to hear of, of Wesley's passing. What's, what's your hope for sharing, for sharing your story? my biggest hope is that, um, people will find hope that they can recognize that whatever stage they're in, whether they're in the the very middle of their storm and feel like they can never be the same after it, or that they can't get, you know, that they feel like they can't get through it, that the situation that you're in will most likely change who you are, but you can, be intentional to believe that it will change you for the better in some ways, as painful as it may be. And, um, and that, that there is hope on the other side. And I think that if we realize that the journey that we have, like maybe, um, not even just about us, but that somehow we can use it to be able to help other people. Like if we can be strong enough to get through that and take and and figure and learn something, figure something out 
about ourselves and about our situation that will help us build resilience and, and, and find, you know, courage and everything else that we do that maybe we can help others along and, and get through what they're going through. And, you know, maybe the situation is, is already over, but you just still feel really broken through it. Um, being able to find the good and, um, and, and to be able to continue to be grateful and understand that like each day that you wake up is a new opportunity and a new day to do something special with your special abilities and your special traits and your unique set of experiences and challenges and, and even all of the painful things that have happened to you, like that will be your, that will be the story that inspires someone else that is possible for you. And I think that is truly why I felt it was so important to get this book out there. Well, I think that our our goals are so aligned, and that's exactly why I wanted to share your story here today. And um, so I'm, I'm so appreciative for you doing that. So April, what's been the most challenging aspect of, of your journey with Tyler's cancer? Well, um, I think uh, figuring, you know, like when you have kids, especially as you're trying to figure out how to be an adult to begin with. Um, you know, I think uh, there's so much pressure just to figure out how to be a, a grown-up and a good mom and, um, you know, do what's best for your kids. And I think that that in and of itself was was difficult. So having a child with an illness as well and figuring out, you know, how you're supposed to act or how you're supposed to feel, or do you recognize your feelings or just be strong? Like all of that was really hard, I think. And I can't say that, you know, I went about it the best way. Um, but I will say that at least in terms of, you know, figuring out how to live life with a child that has a disability, um, I've met a lot of different parents in that community that have different approaches for sure. And I think some of them feel like, you know, just encouraging their kids to feel normal and like they don't really connect them to the adaptive community or they don't get them, you know, involved uh, necessarily in, um, adaptive sports or, uh, just really anything that, would give light to the fact that they are different, so to speak. Um, and not that that's not that that's the wrong way. That's not the approach that I took. But I will say that I think being able to kind of recognize um, what you need may be different than what someone else needs. Like we're all figuring out this journey on our own, but we all have differences. It, like for Tyler, his difference is that you know, he has an amputation or he's a cancer survivor, but, um, I think everyone has their own unique set of, of challenges and being able to just recognize them and know that none of us are quote unquote normal, I think. And, um, you know, allow ourselves some grace and understand that, uh, you know, how do you, how do you recognize what you need and not everybody needs the same thing. And so I think a lot of times we compare ourselves to other people and, and trying to figure out like what's the best step for us or what do we need the most. And, um, I think that one of the, uh, the biggest things that I've learned in this journey and what I hope that I can give advice to someone else is, um, a lot of the things that you're feeling are things that other people that deal with are feeling the same way. You just may not hear that from them because it's in our nature to silo ourselves and hide things. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is, is, you know, don't compare yourself to others. For me, I can say for sure, finding a relationship with God and finding um, strength within that and having faith and hope. Like, even though I'm in this realm, that's, you know, very scientific all the time. I, I believe that um, as much as, as analytical as I am, and as much as I think about the facts and weigh the facts, 
really it's been my relationship with God and, um, and finding that and finding hope that has gotten me through. Now that might not be, you know, what gets someone else through, but I say, give recognition to how you feel and what you need and what makes you feel better. And you do that for Tyler. He also has a strong relationship with God, but also he will tell you that like MPT camp, even though he's a very social kid and has adapted very well in his school and has friends here where we live, his favorite place is when we go to Challenge Athlete Foundation or MPT camp because he said it's the most comfortable and quote unquote normal that he feels because he feels like no one looks at him differently. Like they feel like they're in this just place of complete and total acceptance. And I think that in our everyday lives, we don't give each other grace. We aren't completely accepting. And that's something that's really important. So, you know, I've, I try to never compare, to never try and say what they needed is what I need. I try to, to really think about what I need as an individual, what my kids need might be different than what my neighbor's kid needed. And also that um, I need to be completely accepting of others and understanding and compassionate and that I'll never have any regrets that way. I'm sorry, that was a really long answer. <laughs> no, it was fantastic. No, it was great. And, and what I was going to say is that it's so natural to compare and it's just, it's the worst thing that any of us can do um, because as you point out, everybody's unique and, and you don't know what somebody else's backstory is. And so I really appreciate you, you sharing that. Um, what resources did you find most helpful um, as you were going through this journey? Well, um, Okay, sorry. Can you be more can, um, can you be more specific? Like in terms of journey, do you mean like when Tyler had cancer, or that like the time after? You know, like when we're dealing with like disability stuff. Because I think it might be a little bit different depending on the situation. Yeah, I think I think both because both are you know there there's the the cancer diagnosis. So that's one that's one journey, but then certainly that was the beginning of a of a very different journey, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. So I will say that when when Tyler had cancer, I think I found the most comfort in um, not only the friends that we made that were dealing with similar things. Um, so, you know, other patients in our area that had kids similar ages as Tyler, um, that is still, you know, some of those ladies are still very good friends of mine. And I think, um, finding comfort in, um, kind of just that community there was, that was helpful. However, I will say that sometimes it was also a little overwhelming because I would have moments that we were all kind of in this bad situation and that didn't bring me hope or encouragement because not only were we suffering, but they were, my friends were suffering as well. And that was hard. So there was value of course, in being there for each other and comforting each other. But I also found it important um, to allow friendship um, to blossom with people who had been on the other side. So um, one example that I use in my book is um, um, this, a couple, the um, Todd was a police officer with uh, Billy, my husband, and um and they had uh, lost their child not, not long before that. And um, being able to just, I mean, they are such beautiful people and just strong people. Um, and they really were so supportive of us and just loved on us. And 
um, were there for us when Tyler was in the hospital after his amputation. And it was so eye-opening to see that, like, I was so afraid of what the worst outcome could be, which would be that we would lose Tyler. But they had came through that situation, and they were still these amazing people. And it kind of just gave me hope and courage that regardless of, of however things turned out, that I would also get through it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, um, I think for, um, you know, with Tyler's disability, um, community, of course, was one of the biggest resources that I really felt that we, we needed or, or that I wanted and um, was so thankful to, to finally find that when he was about nine. And so the Challenge Athlete Foundation was amazing. Also, you know, he had expressed that it was hard for him like to come to terms with the fact that when he was at recess, like his favorite thing was to run and to race and, um, or he wanted to play baseball with other kids. And with the prosthetics that he had, he was always slower and that was frustrating for him and made him sad. And of course, if it makes you feel sad, it makes you sad. And so when we learned about adaptive sports um, and we went to the Endeavor Games in Oklahoma, uh, you're paired against other kids of your same age with, with similar challenges as you. So he all of a sudden was on this level playing field, literally. And, um, and that really increased his confidence. And it also allowed him to see, it it made him feel not so behind, I think, and and that, you know, he had to change his perspective. And I think that that has been really huge for him in, um, in setting goals, not only in sports, but in other ways as well. Um, I say in my book that we have to recognize when we are coming to the match or the meet from a knee. So Tyler in the ninth grade decided to wrestle um, for the first time. And he wrestled on his high school team without his leg on. And the first time that, you know, the first time that I went to a match, he was under the spotlight and he had his, um, you know, he had his wrestling gear on and he's out there without his leg on. And this other kid is like over him, like hovering over him as they get ready to get started. And he's on a knee. And I think it was just very eye opening for me. Like his resource, of course, at the time was his team, but I think for him, it was all of that confidence that had built up that he understood what his disadvantage was And he knew how much work he had to do to overcome that, but he was prepared. And so even on the matches that he lost, he still had made so much progress and he still had accomplished something so big that it continued to build his courage and he didn't see it as a loss anymore because he figured out how to gauge his, um, how to gauge what his opponent really, really was or what they were capable of and, and measure his abilities in a better way. And, and I think that's really the most resourceful thing that we can take away is, is gaining perspective from our experiences. Hmm, that's incredibly powerful. Oh, and by the way, he won second in state JV that year. Oh my <laughs> goodness. That's amazing. <laughs> Though, I mean, when you think about the the perspective and the attitude that he was coming to the bat with, maybe not so surprising. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the biggest gift that's come through your family's experience with Tyler's diagnosis and, and subsequent amputation? Um, I would say also, again, um, perspective in in so many ways I think um one in um understanding like seeing people at a deeper level 
I think being able to meet so many people who have accomplished so many amazing things and just have these these big stories to tell is humbling, but it's also awakening in that you know that the human spirit is something that cannot easily be be quenched if you have um if you have a passion to live to the fullest and then also i think um the the perspective of how valuable and important life really is and how you cannot get caught up in the small stuff and I think that that's not something that I would have really been able to appreciate before all of this happened I think that it was the small stuff that was what made up life and you can get you know like you you can get so self-absorbed in um, like what, you know, what we want to do or what we want to have, or, you know, and when you go through the things that we went through and that many others have, I think you just have this hyper awareness that that is really not what life is about. And, um, and I am so thankful and appreciative of that change in perspective. I think that until you've lived through something that really forces you to look at life and the fragility of life, it's really hard to uh, see beyond the small stuff. You can get so focused and so caught up. And and I myself was very much um, uh, guilty of that. And I think it takes something that rocks you to your core to make you realize what truly is important and how you can look at each and every day as a gift not only the fact that you woke up but even when things don't go as planned what's the gift in in that you may not see it today or tomorrow but um but there's there's generally a gift um april i i've i've just been so honored um, hearing your story and not only your story, but I'm, I'm so appreciative of you sharing so much of Tyler's perspective because it's so incredibly powerful. And I think for, for parents who are in your situation and they're facing a diagnosis for them to, to see how Tyler has evolved, how he has risen above will give anybody hope and inspiration. So not only are you and Billy inspiring, but Tyler is is such an inspiration. Um, is there anything that you and I haven't talked about that you'd like our listeners to know? Um, I think that I would like to share uh, some advice. Um, I think in comparing ourselves to others, a lot of the times we can, um, you know, we don't give ourselves a lot of grace. And so for anyone who feels like um, that they don't have anything important or special to contribute or that life is just about being here from the time that we're born until the time that we die and that, um, and that's really it. It's, it's just, you know, living in the everyday and living in the mundane. And while I am really thankful for the times that are peaceful and mundane. Um, I also truly believe like we each have unique gifts and unique talents that are meant to um, not only be fulfilling to us when we use them, but help encourage and strengthen everyone around that, um, around us and around um exposure to those things. And, um, so, you know, and for every single person, it's different. It may be your art. It may be your words. It may be your science. Um, it might be the, you know, it might be the smile that you give when someone comes to the doctor that morning and you're at that front desk, whatever it is that you, um, that brings you joy do more of that and share it with everyone around you because it really does impact 
others. And there is a reason that you're here and there's a purpose that you're here. So, you know, whenever you're, you're feeling down or feeling overwhelmed or feeling discouraged, like remember that like you have purpose and, and you're here for a reason and it's, it's very special and unique only to you. And that, um, and also when you're discouraged and you feel down that even though you say it feels like your situation is unique and that it's no one can understand and that it's overwhelming um, and that you can't recover from it, even if it's something that that you're a position that you're in because you because of your own actions. Um, there are others that have went through exactly what you're going through. And I can guarantee you that there's someone that has come out on the other side better than when they went in and there is still hope for you. And, um, you can get through it and not only can you get through it, you can get through it better than before. And so allow yourself some grace, forgive yourself, think about all the things that are beautiful about you and, and use that, um, to start the day off the next tomorrow, go to bed and rest and you start the day off to better than it was today. And, and that's what I really hope that, um, people will embrace, um, moving forward that you, there is hope and you can heal from your pain. That's a beautiful place for us to end. Thank you for sharing that. I, I that's incredible. April, I'm so appreciative of you sharing your story today. I've loved talking with you. Thank you. I'm so honored. Oh, thank you. I love what you're doing. And I think um, your message is much the same as mine. And that um, sometimes we can't control what happens to us, um, but we aren't alone. And uh, we can control how we react to them and how we can move on from them and we can help uplift and encourage each other. And so, um, I love that about you, Kirsten and your passion for that. And, um, and, and that's why I, I love your show and your message. And, um, I believe that people will absolutely be encouraged by it. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, April. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share an unexpected launch with a friend. Aidan Duncan produced this episode and composed the music.